Welcome to Altitude Adjustment. Good afternoon. It is 2 o'clock in St. Louis. I'm Leon Davis, and this is Altitude Adjustment. Today I'll be talking about the St. Louis, the St. Louis Boys and Girls Club of Greater St. Louis. I'll also be talking about the incident that happened in Florida, and we'll cover some of the latest news. All of that coming up just a moment. And good afternoon. Thank you very much for joining me. And today, as I said, I wanted to let me start off first by saying I wish the best to the survivors, families, and first responders in Parkland, Florida. And we'll talk, as I said, we'll talk. I'll talk more about that later. A couple of weeks ago, I attended a community meeting uh, for my ward. And it was held at the Herbert Hoover campus of the Boys and Girls Club of Greater St. Louis. I have personally not been a member of a boys club. And after a few phone calls, I was given an opportunity to talk with uh, Dr. Fowler, who is president of the Boys and Girls Club of Greater St. Louis. We talked for just over an hour. I won't present the whole entire interview here, but if you'd like, you can request a copy of the transcript. As the Boys and Girls Club of Greater St. Louis celebrated their 50th anniversary last year, I asked Dr. Fowler to describe the status of his organization. So we now we start with one club. We were known as the Herbert Hoover Boys Club when we first started more than 50 years ago. Uh, began to serve girls in 1993, so we became the Herbert Hoover Boys and Girls Club. Um, had the opportunity to establish programs in other parts of the St. Louis community, uh, but still went by the name of Herbert Hoover Boys and Girls Club. Well, by then, this location had been branded the Herbert Hoover Boys and Girls Club. So when you mentioned it, you know, it's what people thought about it. It's the place on North Graham with Sportsman's Park it used to be where the Cardinals and the Browns played football and, and baseball. So we went to other communities and we said we were the Herbert Hoover Boys and Girls Club. They go, no, Herbert Hoover's down on Graham. So we changed our name. Uh, we using alias Boys and Girls Club to Greater St. Louis, and this is the Herbert Hoover Club, so we can still connect with the people, particularly alums, that recognize this place as that, um, and at the same time benefit from the, the strong brand of Boys and Girls Clubs of America by calling ourselves Boys and Girls Clubs. Okay. So we have the, you know, the Old Fallon Park unit, and we have the Adams Park location. So we have 10 sites now where we operate, uh, including this one. Uh, two of those are high school programs called Be Great Graduate, one at Normandy High School and the other at Roosevelt High School in St. Louis Public Schools. And we focus on young people at risk of dropping out. At the other locations, it's pretty traditional boys and girls club programming. One of those is a middle school. Uh, several of those are uh, elementary-based programs where the districts let us use the space. The bell rings and the kids come directly and get involved in programs and services. And so we put staff in those schools to work directly with those young people. So now we're serving about 7,000 uh, young people across those 10 sites. Uh, we're doing more and more around workforce development, uh, health and wellness, um, civic engagement and leadership, and, and, and things of that sort. So historically, boys and girls clubs or boys clubs were seen as a place to kind of keep kids off the street, mm -hmm. keep them out of trouble. That, that was my impression. So they had boxing, you had wood shops, you had swimming. You had sports teams, you had game rooms, you know, came in and played checkers or chess. And, and you occupied kids' time, particularly boys, in a, in a structured 
positive way because the assumption was all the other stuff was going to happen at home uh, at your place of faith or in your school and you know families are a little more intact with it, you know, and that sort of thing well as time went on you know family structures other institutions kind of lost their strength if, if you will and it became incumbent upon other providers to sort of fill in the gap, uh, if you will. So whereas kids got all of their educational activity at school, now you find boys and girls girls having tutors and homework help and access to technology, uh, measuring academic performance, uh, taking kids on college tours, exposing them to careers and things of that sort. So, um, and because children come here by choice, you know that versus school where you're required to go. And, and I think most kids love going to school. Mm -hmm. But because they come here by choice, you got you know, kids are a little more open to doing things. Uh, and they, um, you know, and they they connect with kids, perhaps, or young people, children, from other neighborhoods, other experiences and backgrounds. So, you know, rather than just sitting the same kids in school that sit in front of you or behind you on the desk, now you get exposed to a much larger group. So you benefit from that um, sort of diversity of relationships. You benefit from the, the, the programs and experiences that are offered over and above what you get out of the school day. And you get a chance to supplement what takes place in the home. Because you know, we still rely on parents to do their part. You know, we try to do our part, the school does its part. So, you know, none of those do I think a kid can be successful without them being involved in that development experience. Okay. And so, uh, so we now we start off with one club. Okay. So anyway, I got a little quick on the trigger there. Um, when I originally went in to talk to Dr. Fowler, I had just the traditional idea of a boys and girls club. It was a place where people sent their kids to kind of give them a chance to stretch their legs or uh, encounter a few, you know, play some pool or basketball or whatever and after talking or while talking to him I realized that the Boys and Girls Club appeared to be taking on a lot more than just that and it made me think about uh, the many instances that I've heard of teachers um, where teachers were using their own money to buy school supplies for their classrooms and that uh, the classrooms are getting larger so the, the teachers are having to stretch themselves a little thinner and there's more stress for the teacher more stress for the children and when you because uh, schools all over the place have been cutting back on their budgets and requiring teachers to do more with less and when you start cutting back on uh, uh, resources for uh, that that critical function uh, like schools then something has to step up or move in to fill the gap now the boys and girls clubs is one of those such agencies there are a lot of pressures on families uh, they come from different directions such as uh, companies closing people having to move uh, we've become such a much more mobile society companies relocate um, more often um, the jobs that are being left available or uh, service jobs which um, don't pay as well 
and it may require the employee to do uh, work at multiple locations and if you want to stay close to your job that may require you to to do some moving and not enough financial resources go to maintain a consistent uh, when you when you don't have that kind of money not a you can't place a, enough of your income into a stable environment uh, and that's going to impact the members of the younger, uh, youngest members of our society probably the most. Uh, they're going to have to make the biggest adjustment. And Dr. Uh, Fowler and I had talked a little bit about how the Boys and Girls Club experience uh, helps in that area. And then we try to address other sides of it as well, field trips, uh, getting young people out to see other things outside of their neighborhood, if you can imagine. Up until a year ago, we had the, the abandoned car carburetor right mm-hmm. across the street. So four-story building, broken windows, uh, weeds, broken fences, uh, packs of dogs. I mean, just anything you can imagine coming in and out of that building. Well, if you're a child and that's what you see every day, uh, eventually it's going to affect your psyche, your worldview of things. And so um, if, if I see trash and broken glass there, gets trash and broken glass belongs on the ground. So, you know, I'm less likely to do things to keep my neighborhood tidy. Uh, I've got this sort of um, cloak over me that sort of, you know, so I have a dimmer view of the world, if, if that makes sense, versus someone who gets up every morning, they see green grass and they see flowers and they have birds chirping and they have, you know, well-manicured lawns and homes and things like that. Imagine their outlook and the possibilities that come to mind. So I think we have if not physically possible, to, but as, as much as possible, move all of the bad images from the front of our kids that we can and, and present them with some good images. So maybe we can move them out of a neighborhood, but we can take them on experiences and get them involved in activities that are going to show them what other possibilities are. Not that we're trying to get them to live like other people, but we're trying to get them to live their best life. And if I know that these options are out there for me, I'm going to come back and ask, well, what does it take for me to get there? So that's uh, one organization that's helping to provide possibilities for children. Um, And I'm sure it's a a tremendous help for the adults. And um, one of the questions that I, I posed to Dr. Fowler was that it appeared our society uh, that we're tending to push job skills uh, at younger and younger age trying to get children to decide on a profession uh, at a at, as younger and younger um, this is how he approached it with me again i think it starts with exposure you know so you know you get as many young people as possible to touch, feel, experience as many opportunities that are out there. You know, they don't all necessarily at that time have to be career related, but there is a, an area or a field or a subject that they might connect to. I mean, it's almost like giving them uh, uh, an aptitude assessment. You know, you know, you have a propensity for certain things. You know, some people like to talk. You know, they want to you know lead a conversation conversation. Some people prefer to kind of listen and then provide their feedback. Some people want to, you know, they want to be outdoors. Some people prefer to be indoors, you know, that sort of thing. I remember um, 
when I was talking to high school, I mean, in high school, talking to a college recruiter, um, he said, well, what kind of things? I said, well, I really enjoyed camping. And he said, well, you know, perhaps you should look at a job as a uh, park ranger or something like that. So that I never connected uh, the Boy Scouts or anything with uh, that experience. But, um, but based on the things I had been doing, that would make sense. Uh, but he only saw that part of my experience. He didn't know the other things I was interested in. And, and as I began to explain other things, then you know, the, 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 the areas of interest opened up. So yeah, that was part of it. But there were some parts of that um, that are that you can package and apply to other job settings as well. So said all I have to say is you know, try to provide as many experiences as kids for kids as possible. When they begin to identify an area of interest, whether it's career related or just a hobby, uh, start connecting them to things where they can experience more and more of it. For example, where the young man who grew up in uh, the club had expressed an interest in working with animals, so veterinary medicine, for example. Um, so we got them connected to a program with Nestle Purina uh, called Pet Lovers Coalition, uh, reached out to uh, uh, a local vet see if he could do some volunteer work there, contact the Humane Society, got him involved with some things there. Uh, we had a chance to send some young people off to uh, the East Coast to participate in a, um, um, like it, but it's kind of a uh, oceanography kind of experience. And so he got a chance to go there and, and you know, I think it was created by Jacques Cousteau or something like that. So he got a chance to be exposed to, you know, not so much cats and dogs, but now whales and fish and, and other things, other animal life. So we all try to broaden ourselves, uh, become better adults by uh, getting an opportunity to do different things. And um, so it was uh, good to hear that they were trying to uh, give the, not just entertain the children, not just give them a place to get off of the street, but to give them an opportunity to grow as an individual, which is um, some of the things that we use college for uh, to broaden to round out that person so um that was that was interesting to hear that that they're getting that at an earlier age and it, it kind of made me look at um my thought that we're pushing um professions too early um a lot of t i guess uh, so I, I recently did an interview with um um Oh, let me think. Chris, Chris Swan, Chris Swan. He's an he's an artist, and he talked about um, how his parents had made him take piano, and he said he hated it at the time, and you know um, he didn't like it. Um, but he he took it. They didn't let him out of it, and now he's a musician, and he's doing that as a, a living. And so there, I guess there's something to be said for exposing people early because uh, a child is not going to maybe necessarily want to sit in and practice piano. It's something you as a parent have to um, make the decision for them 
um, what, what I think I and other people who would look at that situation would go, uh, the concern would be a parent who was so intent upon um, pushing their child down a path that they didn't want to go that it becomes um, more torture than it becomes beneficial to the child. It's more that the parent is living through the child. But uh, in a, um, my guess is uh, the boys club, girls club setting, it's more um, encouraging them to broaden themselves and to look at things that they would not have looked at before and touch things that they would may not have uh, touched before. Um, the, tr the traditional idea of uh, the uh, one working parent has taken a beating over the last 30, 40 years. Uh, now we have two parent, uh, two income households and the parents don't get an opportunity to be as as involved in the daily lives of their children. They do the best that they can. And it, uh, boys and girls clubs look like an opportunity to step in and help them with that. I asked, um, since the people are going to be sending their children there and, um, and different parents have different requirements for the children or different ideas of how to raise their children or how to present information to their children and the type of information that they presented. And so I asked Dr. Fowler um, how they decide what would be implemented as far as policies, programs, activities, and the criteria used for those decisions. And this is what he shared with me. Sure, we have, we kind of focus on five core program areas we call them, uh, sports, fitness, and recreation, health and life skills, the arts, character and leadership development, and education and career development. So every program aligns with one or more of those broad categories because we know that kids need a, a variety of experiences to kind of tap into each of their um, interests likes, um, aptitudes, whatever the case might be. And then we try to build measures, uh, a way of measuring the impact around it. Okay. Uh, so anyway, um, the, the boys club and girls club environment, as he mentioned earlier in the earlier video had changed that originally it started out as a boys club and intent to uh, entertain young men and they later added the girls club aspect to it and and he said uh, that the girls had been involved in the club earlier uh, it just wasn't um, cultivated I guess is the word I would use uh, until later on and then they incorporated it and made it boys and girls club and so one of the questions that I asked him was um, how were they how were the, the interactions being handled and um, how much um, I don't know cross um, how much how much the boys and girls interact on a on a daily basis and uh, this is what he said 
in some instances, and many times, uh, many times, uh, particularly our leadership clubs, Keystone and Torch clubs, they do a lot of projects together, a lot of community service together. And they're usually in the homework room and stuff. I think where you see most of the separation is like with the sports teams. You know, if you will, there we've had a few girls play football, but for the most part, not a lot. Uh, we still have girls that want to cheer, and, and they have more girls involved in dance. And, uh, but you have a good mix in step teams, uh, for example. Uh, a lot of the college tours and on-campus experiences is a good mix. Uh, we have a lot of things around job training and financial literacy. Uh, those classes are, are mixed. Art program is, is mixed. Um, the game room is usually a mixture of people, even though you may see boys kind of huddled around one set of games and girls around the other. But that's, you know, um, we don't try not to force things, you know, if, if you will, but we do encourage you know, people to, you know, to get to know each other. And we have social events and things like that. We do nights, uh, pizza parties, a lot of stuff to get young people to, to interact with each other. So, um, when you have uh, the Boys and Girls Club, by the way, is a not-for-profit organization, so they accept donations. And when you are taking on a bigger and bigger role, which um, I he, he mentioned that they were doing and that they were working with the schools, um, that requires, I'm guessing, quite a bit of resources. And if uh, they're cutting back on resources for schools, which I think are extremely important. Um, how is the Boys and Girls Club functioning, or, or at least getting their funding? Is that how how does that uh, work for them? And and he shared with me some something I hadn't thought about, but obviously I wouldn't. I'm not a, a fundraiser. I'm, that's well, I'm not a fundraiser for <laughs> a Boys and Girls Club. But uh, he shared with me um, their mission on uh, fundraising. Uh, fundraising has taken on uh, sort of a different role over time, just like the Boys and Girls Club operates differently today than it did 50 years ago. Fundraising is a lot different now for a variety of reasons. One, we don't have as many corporate headquarters in the sectors as we used to have. So, And companies have a, say, a rolling priority list, but... Um, they have a, a number of areas that they look to support, and a lot of them now even want their people involved. So their money is more likely to go to the nonprofit where their employees are volunteering. So okay. the dollars follow uh, that that service. That being said, we still get good uh, support from corporations based on what their giving priorities are. We still get a lot of good sponsorships. From corporations, particularly for our gala golf that we're really, and we do some events, the gala golf tournament, that sort of thing. But the area that we're really trying to put more focus on is our individual giving. Um, most giving across the country comes from individuals that you might imagine. Most of that money goes to religious institutions, and then followed by colleges and universities, and then other nonprofits. And so, if we can align ourselves more with individual donors and encourage them to increase their giving or their support on an annual basis, then that helps to uh, create a more stable financial footing uh, for the organization. So I, I imagine if one person gave you $100, but that person left, and you, now you don't have anything, versus having 100 people give you $1. If one person left, you still got 99. Uh, so what we really try to do is we're placing more emphasis on attracting and retaining 
individual donors to go along with the corporate support, the foundation support, and the public support that we're able to get. As, and as you might imagine, with events, even that's coming from corporations or individuals, so it's still kind of the same source, but under a different, um, I guess, uh, line item, uh, so to speak. So we talked about, um, well, there was a, several things that I did not include. and um, we, we talked about the, the, the mission, what they were trying to accomplish. We talked about uh, the kids. Uh, one of the things that um, he mentioned and I, I had talked about that I, I haven't put up was um, how they get kids. Uh, they recently opened their operations in Ferguson. And uh, if you're familiar with Ferguson, there that was, um, and I can't imagine that you wouldn't have some idea, but um, the Ferguson area um, needed some additional support, and they opened up in uh, Ferguson, and they said he said that their initial anticipation was 150 students, 150 kids. Um, they did some canvassing, they did uh, uh, announcements, radio. And uh, he said, I, th I think he said 250 showed up. Uh, I don't know what the retention is. That was one of the things that I didn't particularly talk about. Um, and uh, I'm hoping to go back and uh, tour the facility. Uh, it's a real nice looking facility. If you um, are in the St. Louis area, uh, it's, in a, it's in an old, older area uh, downtown or the uh, Herbert Hoover campus is. Um, but uh, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to going back and doing a, uh, a walkthrough. And if I do that, then I'll find some way to at least make some pictures available so that you, uh, you can get a, a sense of what the facility looks like and how they're, they're actually spending their money. And I'm uh, pretty confident that it's going to be for the benefit of the kids. Um, so my final question to him uh, or at least the final one I'm going to present uh, today was um, what did he see as the future of the Boys and Girls Club of St. Louis, of Greater St. Louis? Well, I think the Boys and Girls Club is going to continue to grow and thrive. I think the need um, is there. You know, and, and even in the sense that it doesn't have to be a deficit situation for Boys and Girls Club to have an impact. There are enough things that we offer that any young person, uh, whether they come from a, a very solid um, um, situation or, or sort of an under-resourced situation, that they can find value in the Boys and Girls Club experience. There are many, many neighborhoods in the St. Louis region that um, don't offer a lot of youth development-related activities during the non-school hours, be it after school or on Saturdays. And I, I think there's a there's a, tr a tremendous need uh, for that. Um, schools are going to always have a role. Uh, I think there's something to be said. And, uh, kids kind of choose where they want to spend their time and, and uh, be involved in things that are going to help uh, help them grow and develop. And again, kids don't come through the door saying, "I want my character to develop." They do come in. We're looking at other areas that lack um, 
institution's resources, thinking mm -hmm. that, that can uh, help a young person. And, uh, and if we can find the money, we'll, we'll, we'll pretty much go uh, anywhere where we need it. So that uh, ends my interview with uh, Dr. Fowler. I want to thank uh, Dr. Fowler for sitting down and talking with me, and Everisha Perry for helping to facilitate that opportunity for me. Um, so that uh, wraps up the part about the uh, Greater St. Louis Boys and Girls, the St. Louis, the Boys and Girls Club of Greater St. Louis. And if you have any particular questions that you'd like for me to pose or find out uh, more information about, uh, please leave those questions. Um, and I'll look, do the best that I can. Um, right now, I want to move to a little bit more of a somber topic. Um, I, I want to address the shootings uh, in at um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. I'm embarrassed to say once again that my best goes out to a community that has been racked by gun violence. It is unbelievable that we can't do something about a problem that seems to have so many ways to address it. I send my best regards to the members of this community, also the men and women that put their lives in danger for us and who continue to attempt to shield us from harm while we seem to do very little for our own protection. I going to uh, touch on a few of the news topics that uh, happened this week. The first being Mitt Romney delays Senate announcement after Florida gun sh or after Florida shooting in 2012. Republican presidential nominee Mitt Romney took to Twitter. The 2012 Republican presidential nominee Mitt Romney took to Twitter on Wednesday to announce as he is delaying his scheduled announcement about the Utah Senate race, citing the school shootings in Parkland, Florida. From Twitter, as a father and grandfather, my heart aches for the victims of today's tragic events. My prayers go out to all of the families, loved ones affected by this senseless act of violence. Out of respect for the victims and their families, I will not be making an announcement tomorrow about the Senate race. LeBron James and Laura Ingram get into a war of words. Ingram did a segment where she told LeBron James and Kevin Durant, shut up and dribble. LeBron fired back, we will not shut up and dribble. Ex-Playboy playmate Karen McDougal exposes a nine-month affair with the President of uh, the United States. Exposes a former nine-month affair. Former Playboy Playmate Karen McDougal is the second woman reported to be linked to an extramarital affair with the current president. The nine-month relationship is reported to have started two years into his marriage to the current First Lady Melania Trump. Mueller indicts Russian nationals for 2016 election interference. Special Counsel Robert Mueller's team indicted 13 Russian nationals and three Russian entities for meddling in the 2016 election. It's the first election uh, interference charges resulting from Mueller's probe. 
The federal indictment states that the defendants conspired to obstruct the lawful functions of the United States government through fraud and deceit. Sessions orders investigations of FBI after Florida shootings. Attorney General Jeff Sessions on Friday ordered a review of FBI procedures after the agency's admission it did not investigate a January tip about Nicholas Cruz, the 19-year-old who confessed to killing 17 people at the Florida High School in Parkland, Florida. On That happened on Wednesday. I want to thank you very much for taking this opportunity to join me to, to, today. This is going to wrap up the show for me. And let me get this started here. Already. So, you can replay this video podcast here on YouTube, or you can um, get the audio version at Stitcher.com, Podcast.com, the iTunes Store, and Google Music Play Store. The internet is powered by your likes, shares, and comments. So, like and share this episode when you find it, and consider leaving a comment because it matters. As always, be cool, be calm, but above all, be careful and look out for the other guy because they may not be looking out for you.